Welcome to the National Community Church Podcast. We're thrilled to be able to share this weekend's message with you. You can find us on national.cc or subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Morning. Well, Pastor Mark said we're going to start by, we're just going to humanize. So I'm going to start by humanizing, and I'm going to give you a little bit of glimpse into my parenting experience, okay? Mine and Joel's parenting experience. And, you know, it'll require a little bit of, of um, transparency. And let me just begin by saying, or preface by saying, that we have really fantastic kids. And, in fact, Joel and I often kind of tease each other that it's turned out that we're actually pretty mediocre parents. And so God's been extremely generous to us and continues to be extremely generous to us with our kids. But here's just a, a glimpse of, of a conversation that happens at least weekly in our home, some version of this conversation. And it usually starts with Joel or myself giving one of our children a, a prompt or an instruction. And then after a time, after seeing that that child has maybe not moved from their position at all, we'll follow up with the sentence. I mean, hey, um, did you hear me? Uh, are you listening? Are you listening right? And of course, there's always kind of an exasperated response like, yes, I heard you. Well, Joel, this exact conversation repeats in the same way. He says the exact same sentence in some version every time this happens, and he takes a deep breath and, um, you know, collects himself for a second, probably to ensure his patience, and he says in his most pastorally parental voice, well, did you know, I'm sure that you know, that in Hebrew, hearing and doing are the exact same thing. Now, I don't necessarily recommend that you try this at home because I don't know that it has, you know, resulted in any sort of different outcome in any way. Um, always eye rolls, comments of some sort. Um, but, but it is true, actually. The word shema, the word that means to hear or to listen in Hebrew, it stresses the physical action. Listening in our culture just means hearing, right? That our ears perk up to sounds. But in Hebrew, the word Shema describes hearing and also its effects, taking heed or being obedient, doing what is asked. In fact, every place in the Bible that we see the word obey, it's, it's translated from the word Shema. So we're gonna talk today about the active response of our lives as believers, as followers of Christ. We're continuing through the Rule of Life series, a study of the book of James, and I have to tell you how much I I love the book of James. It's actually one of the most useful books of the Bible. It's really practical wisdom, or as Pastor Mark said in, in framing the series at the beginning, that it's less book smarts and more street smarts. Which, just as a random aside, after um, week one of the series, just a few weeks ago, I was driving with our youngest daughter, Renzi, after service, and she'd just been to NCC Kids to Kids Church, and she was kind of sharing some things she had learned about James, and then um, she had learned that he was the brother of Jesus. And she exclaims like, mom, can you imagine? Like, could you imagine if your brother was the son of God? She kept going on and on. Like, like if you were a, had to be a disciple like of your brother, like she kept going on and on. I thought it was so funny, her response. I just kept thinking about it the whole day. But you know, you have heard people testify that if there is anything that proves to us that Jesus was the son of God is that his own brother even testified to it. So that did stand out to Renzi. It really has nothing to do with the message but it just made me laugh the whole day. Um, but the reason that I really love James is he does, not, he does not mess around. He's a straight shooter, right? He just comes out right off the bat with really strong words in, in, um, in the book of James. And 
My top, the, the virtue that I value the most is authenticity. I am the kind of girl who just prefers that you just tell it to me the way that it is. I feel really unsettled at having to live in any kind of ambiguity or to guess what someone's thinking or feeling, and I would just prefer, even if it's hard to hear, that you would just, just give it to me straight. And then, actually, um, second to authenticity, the thing that I value the most is, is action. In fact, I, I, ha I tend to have a distrust of words that aren't backed up by action. So I'm gonna unpack that a little bit more this morning, but I think it helps you see why I believe that the book of James is really, really powerful. As Pastor Mark said, framing the series, the book of James could be summed up, the whole book, as the just do it book of the Bible, right? There's more imperative verbs in the book of James than anywhere in the Bible. So James gives us this practical, direct guidelines for living, a rule of life. And week one, Pastor Mark covered the rule of life of joy, those things that can help us to enjoy our journey. And the campus pastors examine the rule of life of freedom, of the liberty that we have in Christ. And today, we're gonna settle in James chapter two. You can turn there now. James chapter two, verses 14 to 17. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother and a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. Other translations say faith without works is dead. This is a long debated passage of, of scripture, though it, it really doesn't have to be. The debate centers on whether this passage of James is in conflict with Paul in Ephesians 2, where he says that we are saved by faith alone. But James approaches his readers with a challenging question because he's not proposing a different way of salvation. He's having us to understand what by faith alone really means. You see, these verses aren't a contrast between faith and works. They're a contrast between true faith and false faith. The passage goes on to say that anyone can say they believe in God, even the demons, right? In verse 19, you believe there is one God, good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. But true faith is proved real because it results in deeds and good works. And false faith is proved dead because it doesn't. I would say it this way. Man is saved by faith alone, but the faith that saves is never alone. True biblical faith will always be evidenced by good fruit, good works of some kind. In fact, the word faith in this passage of James in Hebrew, it's, it's actually more like the word faithfulness or trustworthy. So if you read it this way, in the same way, uh, faithfulness, if not accompanied by action, is dead. This word could even be used maybe like a credit in banking. It means loyalty and steadfastness. That's our lives and how they should look as believers. And if we come back to Paul, just as clearly as Paul said that we're not saved by works but faith, he immediately adds that we're created in Christ to do good works, work that God had long ago prepared for us to do. And he goes on in Romans 2 to say that that judgment at the end of the day is a judgment of our works. In fact, in Hebrews 11, he presents a powerful example of works emanating from what, it, what a transformed life would look like. And if you read throughout that chapter, I do encourage you to this week, Hebrews 11, there's two words repeated again and again, by faith, by faith. In fact, this chapter is even called the faith chapter. 
we read, by faith, Abel, by faith, Enoch, by faith, Noah, by faith, Abraham, by faith, Sarah, by faith, Moses, by faith, the people, by faith, Rahab. And then what follows those words each time? Noah built an ark. Abraham obeyed God. Moses left Egypt. Rahab saved the Israeli spies. Paul himself testifies to the action that followed their faith. So the bottom line here is James and Paul is saying that faith is as faith does. As believers, each of us should have some version of a rule of life, a commitment of some sort that echoes our dedication to living out our faith. In the Schmidt-Golf family, Joel and I have, um, you know, our, our rule of life can be summed up in just, it's one mantra that we use again and again. It's out of Acts 20, 35. Our commitment is to give more than we receive. It's a simple sentence that we remind each other with um, quite often. It helps us to say a unified uh, yes to each other more often when things don't necessarily benefit us. And we've come back to this statement again and again a lot of times, and we whisper it, whisper it to each other in really discouraging moments. But can I let you in on a little secret? It's, it's actually proven to be impossible. <laughs> like the more that we give away, the more that others are like generous to us. And the more generous that we are, the more that like blessing continues to come. And we just keep joking with each other that we cannot get out of generosity debt somehow. So I'm just mentioning just a way that Joel and I are kind of led in our, in our lives by, by statement, a predetermined intentional thing that's actually written down. Um, and in fact, you know, through this series, we're talking about a rule of life. We're talking about those pre-commitments that lead us and guide us um, as, as believers. And in fact, this Tuesday, um, myself and a couple other leaders are going to lead just a master class about what does it look like to, to craft a plan, an intention, a rule of life that will, that will you know, pre-lead you in, in pre-decisions for your life. And so Tuesday night, 7.30, if you haven't registered, um, I think the link will be on the screen to go ahead and register. It's online, so you can do it wherever you are. And it's just going to be some simple instructions about what does it look like to maybe craft something like that. And then you'll have a couple of weeks to work on it and do that and maybe... Um, and and to come back with something. Um, but regardless of way that your rule of life reads, the scripture does inform us that we are to live out our faith. And I wanna unpack that just a little bit more because one of the biggest difficulties to overcome as followers of Christ is to actually be the doers of the word that we read. And how would things look different if we as Christ followers did what the word says that we're to do? if our lives reflected obedience to the word as it reads. And I'm actually gonna go out on a limb here and say that I actually don't believe that there is any life discipline that is more important than the personal application of the word of God. I'm gonna say it again, actually, that there is no life discipline more important than the personal application of the word of God. That means we have to read it, and then we have to apply it to be lived in our lives. James exhorts us this in chapter 1, 22. He says, do not merely listen to the words and deceive yourself. Do what it says. Matthew echoes the same sentiment in Matthew 7, 24. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. You want wisdom? Put his words into practice. We find it in Genesis, in Exodus, in Deuteronomy. To hear and then to respond to God's word is the essence of what it means to be obedient to God. It's hearing and doing of the faith. It's the living out of our faith. 
You know, something I'm sure you've heard our pastoral staff around here remind us that, you know, we're actually educated beyond the level of our obedience. Sometimes we know what it is that we're to do, but now we have to take the step to live it out. And it does require more than words. And we're actually, we really like words in this town, right? Many of us craft words and position papers and statements for, for a living, actually. And we craft articulate social media posts and that convey very well-thought-out positions, but do our lives reflect the words of Jesus? So here is a rule of life for you. What if you live it like you believe it? So I mentioned to you that authenticity is a virtue that I hold in the highest. And um, just recently I was having a conversation with someone about a particularly sensitive topic. And there have been plenty of them lately, sensitive topics, threatening to try to divide our community. And um, this particular friend and I tend to land very differently on really more than one issue. But I have a deep, deep respect for her. And I shared this with her. And do you know why? It's because I see her live out the conviction every day. It's a lived faith. And I believe the Lord is honored by it. Even when I disagree, or when I feel called to something different, or when I interpret the scriptures differently, we are so quick to point fingers at our fellow believer when they don't say exactly what we want them to say, or even land with the same conclusion about something. But what about this? What about instead of critiquing what they think or profess, what if we asked, what do their lives say? At the end, God will say, well done, my good and faithful servant. And I am preaching to myself here because my prayer, my prayer, especially the past number of weeks, has been, please, Lord, would you let my life be a testimony of the words that I profess? Would you let me read your word and put it into action in my own life? And would my life profess that these things that I hold true in my heart, let that be true for us? A faith that works is a faith that works. This church is an active church. We really have so much to celebrate in this area. So I wanna just take a minute and I just wanna testify to some of the amazing ways that this community lives out our faith. We are committed to being a missional church. We seek to be part of the solution of a flourishing city and a world. We partner with social services, with government, businesses, with other churches to meet the needs of the community and around the world. The church body, this church body, has given more than a million dollars to the NCC Common Fund, which if you don't know what that is, NCC Commons, it's based on Acts 2, where the church, um, they shared all that they had in order to ensure that needs were met. So that's a fund that many of you give into, and we've paid things like backowed rent and utilities and counseling and even financial coaching. We provide education scholarship through the fund, over a million dollars out of a commitment to caring for refugees that were being resettled in this area, a refugee, a group of people started serving and then a ministry was birthed out of NCC volunteers. It's now its own partner ministry through which we've re resettled about 85% of refugees in the DC metro area. Homelessness. For 18 years, NCC has been invested in ending homelessness in our city through long-term relationship. Through our partnerships with social services and the DC government, we provided emergency food needs during COVID. We have offered our housing for, for coaches and counselors and case managers to process housing opportunities. We've had countless housewarming parties for our friends that get their apartments and move into their new homes. And this work extends internationally as well. 
You know, we've been invested in the work that God is accomplishing around the world since that first $50 check that Pastor Mark wrote in faith in our earliest years as a church. And there are so many stories to tell here, but um, we have close to 50 partners that are doing incredible work around the globe. And if you count those that are, that are living nationally but supporting work around the globe, it's close to 100 partners. And because of these relationships, we're positioned to take action when the need arises. So in response to the war in Ukraine, we commissioned and sent a small team of skilled NCCers to serve with our partners at the Poland-Ukraine border as they welcomed refugees fleeing war in desperate scenario. And through your generosity, we raised over $80,000 that went directly to frontline partners, meeting immediate needs. Probably even a little more personal to me, given that right now my husband and my teenage daughter are actually in Ethiopia, and they're there to encourage Beza Ministries, which is a longtime sister church of NCC who has just incredible ministries meeting the needs in their own community, but they're also seeking to be peacemakers in the midst of, of a violent conflict in their country right now. And earlier this year, when Pastor Zeb was with us, we were able to raise over $100,000 to invest in Beza Ministries. So I understand in a message like this that I am speaking to a choir who is echoing my song. And this is just a tiny little slice of the work that we're doing to be active agents. There's really so much more. But I do, I wanna testify to the way that this faith community is showing up. And so when you're wrestling with the messages that are happening around, around us and the angst that you're feeling inside, let's just remember, we're a part of a faith community that is showing up. So thank you, thank you for your obedience to doing um, living out actively what, what James has said here. And this extends even when we come into the delicate spaces where legal and legislative decisions are being wrestled. Our church continues to work out our faith through active care and response. As we've grieved over gun violence in our communities, just last week, um, Pastor Devin Turner, a good friend of ours, his organization, um, which is committed to preventing and ending gun violence in our city, they hosted a Piece of Art DC. It's a festival where youth that are living in DC neighborhoods that are most affected by gun violence, they had a chance to be uh, mentored by art industry experts and showcase their art and their music and their painting and their dancing and their spoken word. And that organization continues on with mentorship. And of course, our own mentorship and after-school programs through the DC Dream Center. They give kids supportive relationships and safe places to belong rather than places of loneliness or violence. And just two weeks ago, we worked with Prison Fellowship to host the Angel Tree Basketball Camp for 118 children of incarcerated parents and caregivers and ensure positive support for vulnerable young people. And given the news of the Supreme Court decision this last week, we're a part of a faith community that reaffirms our commitment to life. And this includes the important work to care for and support and advocate for those who find themselves with unplanned pregnancy. We are long-term partners with local pregnancy centers that provide counseling and support and maternity and baby supplies, as well as referrals for medical and legal and housing needs. We're partners with My Sister's Place and House of Ruth, which support women and children going through domestic violence and homelessness. We have a close relationship with DC 127, started by our friends at District Church, out of their concern about the number of children that need foster care. 
and the shortage of families able to care for them. And to this date, DC 127 is the leading organization in the city that's partnering with government and nonprofits and churches, all working together to support families in crisis. So, if you wanna get involved with any of these organizations, they're all linked on our website, but however you're feeling this weekend in response to these delicate situations, let's just be active in our response. Let's, be, let's, let's do what James is calling us to do. Faithfulness is fruitfulness. And when we see something that burdens us, it is our prompt to respond. And if there is a passion for something that God's put on your heart, I just, I'm trying to say that you're in the right place. The faith that you proclaim can be evident through together in community. You know, where we live, I did feel this prompt quite a bit in prayer this week. It can be dangerous actually to speak about being activated to do something because we're, we're doers here right? Almost to our own detriment sometimes. We go about doing and responding and we feel that like burden so deep within us and sometimes we can actually get caught up a little bit in our identity and we can forget that, that it's not from that that we earn our value. And actually this passage is it's saying the opposite. It's saying that we work not for a place of love but from a place of love. We don't work for salvation. We work from salvation. So if God has put a unique gifting and a calling or a burden on your life, he created you to partner with him. But you have nothing to prove to him or to anyone. You are beloved. He wants you to feel rest. He wants you to experience his joy and his peace. And he wants to know that we truly trust him with outcomes more than we trust ourselves. But I'm not saying that it's going to be easy or that it isn't going to cost us some to do this kind of work, right? In fact, I would say that active faith, it ain't free. <laughs> it costs us something. It costs us something to live out our faith. And I shared with you a rule of life, um, though I didn't say that that's what it was the last time that we were together, something we say in our family a lot, remind each other that in this family, we do hard things. It's a way of us pre-stating or predetermining that we will endure through hardship to the things that the Lord is calling us to. And if we're gonna live it out, then we have to be sure to understand what the scripture is saying. So let's go back to the word. Um, the scripture in James goes on to say even how we are to act and actually all throughout James, a central aspect of his teaching is, is in regards to proper treatment of the poor. In 127, he commands that we care for the widows and orphans. In 515, he commands that the elders care for the sick in their churches. And, and James and Paul really resonate with each other on this point. In fact, throughout the Bible, there's approximately 3,000 verses that are concerned with taking care of the vulnerable, vulnerable extending compassion. But in, in this passage, in James 2.15, I read it earlier, if a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food and one of you says to them, depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you don't give them the things which are needed for the body, then what does it profit? Amen. You see, in the Greco-Roman world, there, there actually was no real mechanism for charity. Like if you were poor, you were really out of luck. So the imperative that followers of Christ live in this way to be mindful of the poor was very, very countercultural. 
In fact, most sociologists testify that the reason that the early church grew the way that it did is because the way that Christians lived out their faith in caring for the least. It's how the early church really earned their market share in the first century. In fact, even historical sources speak to this. And in the fifth century, we have a historical record of a Byzantine emperor who wrote a really irritated letter actually saying, the Jews take care of their own. The Galileans, meaning the Christians, they take care of their own and our own. Welcoming them to their, oh, not only they feed the poor, but ours also. Welcoming them to their feast, they attract them as children are attracted with cakes. We can all be attracted with food, right? <laughs> Sociologists testified that the reason Christian movement grew during those centuries was the demonstration of mercy to those in need. And not just followers of Christ, but all. This love was evidence for the authenticity of Christianity. Sociologist Rodney Stark wrote, in the midst of squalor, misery, illness, and anonymity of ancient cities, Christians provided an island of mercy and security. They generously supported the poor, cared for the prisoners, the elderly, the destitute children. It's the way that we live our lives that testify to Christ. A number of years ago, a group of us from um, NCC, it was during the height of the Syrian refugee crisis, and a group of us traveled to Greece to be at the border with the, with the refugees that had been stuck there. The border had been closed, and um, many, many individuals were really desperately caught between the, the horrors of home and then also um, prevented from moving ahead. And we were there to, to try to meet needs, but, but the reality was we mostly encouraged and just gave witness to, to this story. And when we came home, of course, we just shared what we'd experienced and, and you know, I shared with those around me in my life and with, with family members. And I received the following email from a non-believing member of our family. Um, and I share this not, not to boast, but because I think it does really kind of show how our lives would be a testament to the work of Christ. So this family member wrote this. I need to tell you something that's been on my mind for a while. I won't get into my views on religion because they aren't terribly important, other than I'm not really a believer. I'm sure that's not a surprise, but it's true. When I look out at all the churches in our world, I wonder how so many people believe that they're acting in a manner that's any way like the Jesus they believe in. But when I look at you and your church, you're what Christians should look and act like, in my opinion. I take every opportunity to brag about the church. I brag about the service, the humility, the kindness. I know that if Jesus does come back, he will hold you up as an example of what he stood for. I also know you're not out there doing it because you want to look good for him or others, but because it's the right thing. You have the ability to help alleviate suffering for so many. So thank you. That's an email from a family member who didn't, doesn't share faith. Our active faith, it is our testimony. It's our final rule of life. Testimony is prophecy. Faith is contagious. Lived faith is contagious. It's a testimony. The testimony of God's faithfulness is it's how we proclaim that there is a God at work, right? It's, he'll, it's how we build out the faith of others to live out their faith. It's us saying that, that if God did it for you, someone will see that, right? If God did it for you, well, then he can do it for me. Or if he did it before, then he can maybe do it again. So James is prompting us in his very straight shooting way to live an active faith. And I believe that, that there's something that God's put on your heart, a calling. 
something probably even bothering you today. In fact, I might think that it might even be nudging at you right now, prompting you right now. Something bothering you about circumstances in our city or in our schools or in your neighborhood and um, you're feeling a nudge from the Lord. Something that we say around here is that we encourage each other just to criticize by creating. And what that means is that the things that burden you, that bother you, that cause you angst, that that's your opportunity, that's your opportunity with the giftedness that God has put inside of you to live your act of faith in response. And actually, we know that in the, in the early church or in um, the Jewish tradition, they actually believed that it was through a collective, a collective pursuit of the Lord, a, co- a collective petition of him that, they would, that they, he would move on their behalf. So I would say not only take a step, but then gather others around you. Gather others around you and say, Lord, I hear you calling. I want to live out my act of faith. Would you help me testify to the things that are birthed? I believe this is from you, God. God is actively at work in the redemption of our communities. And his plan is to use us. So I'm asking you just to consider taking a step of faith. I would even maybe consider this your official commissioning. So I started by sharing the Hebrew word Shema. We've wrestled what it looks like today to um, respond to the Lord actively when he says, did you hear me? Are you listening? To actively move ourselves. But beautifully, God also shows his love to us through action. And we can petition him with that word also, right? In the Psalms, David, David pleads, oh Lord, please hear my prayer. He wasn't accusing God of not listening to him or, or hearing him. He was asking God to move. And maybe you're feeling some sort of discouragement that there's burdens that you've been feeling and that you're feeling, you're feeling weary. But I want to encourage you that God is an active listener too. He responds himself. We're gonna, I'm going to invite the worship team because we're going to close in a little bit of a unique way today. This... Um, worship song that we're gonna close with, actually, instead of lyrics on the screen, it's going to be a scroll of testimonies. These are testimonies submitted by maybe you, others, and they're all in our, all from NCC. They're declarations of people that have called out to the Lord and asked the Lord to move, and he has. It's a celebration of the way that the Lord has moved and responded on their behalf. And as you, as you watch them, as we celebrate, we honor the Lord with your, with your praise at these answered um, testimonies, it's also your opportunity to, to share testimony, how God's been an active responder in your life. So be thinking. In fact, there'll be a, there'll a phone number up this morning that you can text in at some point. We hope that you do. Together, we can, we can declare our, our faith in the Lord. We can say to others, if he did it for me, he can do it for you. It's our way of encouraging one another, spurring each other on. A lot of us are just discouraged in the work right now. We're discouraged in doing the things, being obedient, and then feeling like, oh, there's these things in my family, in my life, and I'm wrestling. And so we just need our encouragement. We need to be spurred on in our faith, and we can do that for one another. But we do have to remember, this is our reminder. It testifies to a God that moves, that hears, that's an active responder himself. So he is to be praised this weekend. And I hope that you're encouraged by this word. I want to pray to commission you. So why don't you go ahead and stand? Um,
God, my heart is so full. God, thank you. Thank you to be a part of a church body that is so, um, that just desires to honor you, God. That desires to do what your word says and to care for the vulnerable, God. Would you give us eyes to see, God, Would you nudge our spirits? Would you whisper in our ears, Lord, and remind us throughout the week to take steps, to take action? God, not even in necessarily big ways. It might be in a little prompt, Lord, that you have a little prompt right now, right now, I'm telling you, to listen, to act, to respond. Would you open our ears and minds this week? And God, we thank you for every testimony we're about to read. God, that thank you that nothing Nothing falls on deaf ears when we come to you, Lord. You hear us, and we will return everything back to you in praise. Let our faith be strengthened. In the name of Jesus, amen.